Oh, hello, and welcome to the Community Experience Podcast. We are so glad you're here. If you're one of our regulars, you're probably wondering why we haven't published in a while. We actually chose to sunset the show in early 2023, but the feed will stay active because so many of the episodes are timeless. If you want to learn more and search our back catalog, you can visit smartpassiveincome.com slash cxpodcast, all one word. Hey, we have an amazing event coming up, the Expert Advantage Workshop Series, where every day for a week, starting on Monday, May 20th, it's myself and another expert coming on to present to you about various kinds of things to help you with your brand and your business. Our brand new experts in residence and pro are gonna be there to co-host these workshops with me, and you're not gonna wanna miss it. You'll have a chance to ask all of them questions, and it's completely free to join. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Wednesday, May 22nd, we're gonna be talking trademarks, copyrights, how to know when to do it, what IP can you do it with, and the common pitfalls that most people fall into when it comes to intellectual property. 101 with Yasmin Salman Hamdan, and you're not gonna wanna miss that on Wednesday, May 22nd. And then finally, to finish off the expert week, on Thursday, May 23rd, we're gonna be talking with Pamela Slim, about how to monetize and scale your IP and position it and package it in a way that is unlike anything you've really been taught before. Incredible value from Pamela and all of our experts on our Expert Advantage Week. And all you have to do to sign up and join and get all the links that you need is smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Again, one more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. Join us on our Expert Advantage Workshop Series. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash advantage. I'm a curator, I facilitate, you know, and if you're out there, don't think that you need to be front facing, you can have just as much of an impact being behind the scenes and curating programming and being like, you know what, I want this to exist and nobody's doing it. I have no reason to be the owner of one of the largest oceanic nonprofits, most engaged on social media. If you look at my background, I'm a classical saxophone performance major. Take the pressure off of yourself. If you're wanting to facilitate and curate, then curate conversations with professionals. Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Community Experience Podcast. I am your hostess with the mostest, Jillian Benbow. And today I am talking to the just absolutely lovely Warren K. Carlisle the fourth. It's a mouthful, but yes, it's worth it. We are talking all things community with a twist. We are also talking about octopuses because he founded and is the executive director of Octonation, the largest octopus fan club. And if you're not a fan of octopuses, now you will be at the end of this, but we get into, and yes, pun intended, the seven C's of building online community. He is a community strategist, but also runs a community that really proves like he walks the walk. So this is a freaking amazing episode. We are very chatty. I hope you stay till the end because at the very end, there's actually a really great tip. So that's your hint. All right, I hope you enjoy this episode. And welcome. We are in the episode. I'm so excited because we're about to talk about like Loki, when I'm like a very interesting topic, in my opinion, that most people are like, what? 
but I'm with someone who agrees with me. So Warren Carlisle, who community strategist and octopus enthusiast, welcome, welcome to the community experience. Hello, hello. Can't wait to talk about all things octopus. I know. In community. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they go together. And no one can see this, but before we started recording, Warren showed me the room he's in, and there's just like octopus plushies everywhere. So I think Hundreds. there's a merch delivery. It's pretty exciting. I think I would have a lot of fun rolling around on those octopus, which is <laughs> probably not their intended purpose, but they're super cute. So yeah, welcome to the show. Why don't you let our audience know just who who are you and tell us your, you know, kind of your community story. Sure. So I'm Warren Carlisle. I'm my title now is a community building strategist, primarily online. And I got my start actually working. I always say I got my start because I'm the middle child of seven kids. And yeah, and I always felt like my whole entire life, I was like universalizing knowledge between my older brother and my younger sibling. And when my mom came home, you know, I would always make sure I'm like, hey, did you do your homework? Hey, did you vacuum the floor? Hey, like what emotional state does mom need to be in so that we can get what we need to get, you know, or we can like go to the movies or something. And I found out that that helps me later on in life when it came to communities and really kind of universalizing knowledge for a, a broader group of people. And um, so I ended up, um, uh, I'm, it's so weird because I have such a weird story where I majored in classical saxophone performance. My mom um, got cancer in 2011. She passed away. And I was at this point in my life where I was just like, I don't want to live here anymore. And I went to Barnes and Noble one day, opened up all these magazines and was just like, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? And I remember being like, I want to move to New York. And I got on Instagram and I started reaching out to, and you'll see this throughout the call that I'm highly strategic when I want something. I'm like, okay, well then how would you do that step by step? So I was like, I want to move to New York and I want to be an intern for a celebrity fashion photographer. So I got all these magazines and I started looking up in the magazines, who were the photographers and focused the ones on New York. And I would reach out to them on Instagram and I'd say, hey, you know, I'd love to be an intern for you. What does that process look like? And ended up landing an internship. And after about four or five months of working with him, he actually made me his studio manager, which I felt like was just meant like I had to do everything for him. I did logistics. I booked the shoots. I worked with brands. I looked at brand guidelines. I made sure that everything was was okay. And during that time frame of working with all those those companies and those brands and those influencers, I was like, this is all really cool, but I don't care about fashion. I kind of want to revisit a love of mine, which I was always, you know, ever since I was seven, I've been obsessed with the octopus. I saw one for the first time and went to the library and there were no books on them. And I was just like, this is crazy. They have to be alien because if there are no books on them, then that means like no one's figured them out yet. It wasn't until 2015, you know, still in New York, still doing all that, that I read the book, The Soul of an Octopus. And she was like, you're probably wondering why there's no books on this creature. And I was like, yeah, I am actually. And she's like, they've been misrepresented throughout history. They've been shown in Hollywood videos as like this weird, complex, slimy creature. And they've just never had a good PR agent. And I remember thinking at that moment, oh, this is my gig. Like, this is totally what I was meant to do. I'm going to be the PR agent for the octopus and tell the story of the octopus in a way that is going to change the way people look at the octopus and care about the ocean. And so in 2015, I started Octonation, the largest octopus fan club. And very similar to what I was doing in New York with fashion companies and influencer marketing, 
my influencers look differently. They were anybody that had a commitment to people learning about the octopus. So academics, there were underwater photographers, there were people that had octopus tattoos, there were, you know, artists, you know, enthusiasts. And I just connected with all of them and came up with programming and interviews and fun activities and grew Octonation. <laughs> so that's kind of how we started and how I kind of morphed into this. But yeah, open for, for all the questions because I'm sure you have tons. A zillion. I'm going to try to like stay with the conversation. But before I ask a community follow-up question, I have to ask an octopus question. So yes. you mentioned they must be aliens. And I'm curious what you think about that theory that they are aliens because their blood is like allegedly like totally unique. So I'm like one of the most woo-woo, but also very practical people you'll ever meet in your life, which is a strange combination. I actually totally get it. Yeah. I still believe, like, you know what I mean? And although I have all these scientist friends now that are just like, no, they're not extraterrestrial. They're actually super from this planet. They've been on this planet for hundreds of millions of years. We've just come a long time after them. And so we're not as evolved, you know, from the standpoint of octopuses have been evolving on this planet for hundreds of millions of years where we have not. Uh, and so they have all these really unique things that allow them to be like masters of whatever environment they find themselves in. And it works out for them as a result of them surviving through mass extinctions, you know, and still being here. So yeah, but I still believe in aliens totally. I kind of, <laughs> yeah, I kind of think it's a fun, like, you know, add that to your life bingo card. It's like, and also aliens have been here the whole time. They're just in the ocean. <laughs> but like, what a fun plot twist. It was like, actually. And the more you learn about them, the more you start thinking like, they've got to be aliens. There's got to have been something that's that's gone on. I mean, they're so different. In a lot of the ways, I mean, you know, I've, I, through Octonation, try to make them as, as relatable as possible because I feel like humans they want to figure out how does that, but how does that relate to me though? And so we, we do our best to try to figure out how to take this very complex creature and make it very approachable and fun, like a squishy puppy dog. <laughs> I mean, I do want to be friends with them, although they're like, <laughs> nope. But yeah, I like, I like this theory of like, Loki, they've actually been like running the world and we just think we are. And they're like, ha ha ha. So to get back to kind of what you're saying about community, though, and one, I love like you're just like the quintessential goal getter, as a, you know, like a go getter. But it's like you see the thing and you're like, OK, let me make this work, which, of course, is great for community. And so you built up this entire community and, and kind of was like, oh, they need a PR person like that's that's me checking in and, and created this whole thing around it, which is fantastic and and something you know we wanted to talk about is just the idea of as someone who helps other people create community strategizes community and building and growth and all of that like you really walk the walk because you have a community that you created and grew and is has turned into this big thing so talk to me a little bit about how you started getting into the community strategy side of things yeah so through octonation i started thinking i'm like i wonder if the, the concepts or the principles that come into play when it comes to building community are applicable to like other people. And so I started helping my friends who are artists build communities. I started helping small businesses that I was passionate about. I started giving them tips and advice on, on how to do things. And I started to find out that while I was doing this for Octonation, a lot of what I was doing could be broken down into a system. And I've worked with a lot of mentors to kind of perfect that system over the time. 
But what I realized was that it's really platform agnostic when it comes to building community. You just have to really think of what are those core principles that people need to know about in a community that allow it to be easily repeatable. People can talk about it. They're very clear who the community is for, who it's not for. And it's fun to talk about. You're almost enthusiastic to kind of bring up a resource for people because I feel like people want to help people with the, the best resource possible. But we as community leaders have to give them the words that they would use to talk about us and not just make the assumption that they're going to come up with the best marketing language. We kind of have to take the reins on that as leaders and be like, okay, what can we confidently manufacture out of somebody's mouth when it comes to talking about our community? And I feel like the reason I say manufacture is because when I was in the fashion industry, everything was, it seemed like everything was made up. I mean, you had like cloth and this cloth was $600 and this cloth was $20 and there was no difference in the cloth. So I felt like everything's made up. So, you know, if we're going to create a community around something and put our stake in the ground and say, this is what we're rallying around, like the clearer we can make that, the more easy it's going to be for people to understand that, oh, this community is for me. I understand why I'm here and I understand the benefit of staying and contributing. And it takes a little bit of work. I'm curious, so like, you know, especially because you mentioned like artists and helping artists create community, what those communities look like, because I know that's often... People are like, oh, you know, I'm sure you know, right now, everyone's like a community, I need to launch it. And then the actual like why and who it's for gets a little muddled beyond like, I should launch a community. So I'm curious how you had those conversations with people in something that's like fairly niche. Like, how did you create community around a specific artist or an art type? I have like this, it's this whole entire methodology I come back to, which is called the seven C's of building a fanatical community. And in the first C, it's clarity. And oftentimes, this is not a sexy thing to talk about. Uh, when I look at you know people that I've worked with, and I look at like ads and things like that, people are really caught up with vanity metrics. When I say vanity metrics, I say, how many followers do you have? Or, you know, how many likes did this get? And I don't care about any of those things. I really care more or less about the engagement from a, a comment standpoint. Are people really getting what you're saying? And so within Clarity, you have the community vision and the community mission. Something like Octonation, our, you know, our mission is to inspire wonder of the ocean by educating the world about octopuses. And our vision is to be a global leader in wildlife education, research, and conservation. And so when I look at that and I have that basis as like Clarity, then I can move into something like my core values. Like what, what is the brand? What is the, like the tonality of our brand? We're like really easy to understand. We're fun. I always say that when you read our posts, I want you to almost feel as if you, if you, even if you didn't know anything about the octopus, that you could confidently walk away from reading one of our posts and say, hey, I learned something today. And I know it's kind of weird, but I'm, I'm really psyched up about it. I, like, I want to tell you about it and that we're giving them the facts and the information to, to talk about it. And so with anybody that I work with, like I just recently worked with this couple and they were called Broadway husbands and they recently had a child out of surrogacy and they live in Houston, Texas. And they said that every single time they were walking around, you know, the store with their new baby, people would approach them and they'd say things like, you know, where's the mom and, and things like that. And they said, you know, we really feel like there's, there should be a community here. And so when I was looking at helping them ideate this community, I was like, okay, well, we need some clarity around this. What are you really looking to do? 
And after talking to them, it became very clear that they were trying to provide an accurate representation of life at home for gay fathers or gay dads. And that they had this, this vision where any guy who, who was gay could see himself having a child and it be in a healthy, loving environment. And so when you pair those two things together, all of a sudden you're very clear with how to move forward. You know, then you can get into kind of core values and then you can get into content. But oftentimes I feel people skip over the reason why they're even there in the first place and they go straight into content creation because that's fun, right? You feel like you're doing something. But I always say every single time you post something online, you're serving to either strengthen the affinity that you have with your community or you're diluting your brand, you're diluting your community. It's becoming increasingly unclear why everybody's here, right? And so when we first started with them and they started creating videos about just life at home as a gay father and, and buying products as a gay father, how is it different? And they found themselves blow up on YouTube. I think they had over like 3 million views once they were clear on really what they were going after. And uh, if you look up on YouTube, I think they start every video out with like, hi, husbands. You know, so it's a very like, you know, it calls out to, to, to them or an aspirational, you know, husband. So it was just there has to be this thought that goes into it. It's not just, you know, creating an account and then just going immediately into content creation mode. You really want to say, who is this for? And then oftentimes, I think marketers, they try to use marketing lingo in communities. And I kind of like it rubs me the wrong way. So they're like, what's your niche or what's your niche? And I actually want to remove those two words out of community building. And I'm sorry if like, and there, I'll tell you why. I would rather ask a community leader, who are you trying to create belonging for? Like who, like, who do you want to feel as if when they show up in your community, they feel like I belong here. I, because people who feel like they belong contribute and people who contribute create highly engaged communities online. And at the end of the day, we want people to, we want to create a space in where people feel like I belong here. When I contribute, my comments are seen. I feel like I'm a, a, a great contributor of this group. If I'm like an octonation, if you know people are at the grocery store and they see or at Walmart or whatever, and they see an octopus, they'll take a picture, they'll upload it in the group. You know, they feel like, oh, I can contribute. I see this, I, you know, and we provide that space for them to do that. So I'm fired up about community. So if there, <laughs> there's anything else kind of in there that you kind of want to ask more on, I could go into the seven C's if you're curious, but um, that's kind of where I start is really with that clarity. Who is the community for and what is the community about? And the more vague, the more vague those two things are, the more you have the potential to alienate members and for them to feel like this community doesn't really apply to me. That's exactly what I was just kind of thinking about. And just the sense like to your, to the point of the community example, you we're just giving like, there's a very clear, like almost like the more, and I know you don't like the word niche. I get it. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, you can, we can like, use it. <laughs> no, we can um, use it. I just, I just talk about when it comes to like uh, the, the idea around niche is that you can truly choose it. And I really feel like the more and more you look into who you are, like who you represent and what your life experiences are, that's not, that's not something you choose. That's something you experience. That's like your life, you know? So for me, when I was seven and I saw an octopus for the first time, I can't fake the fact that I like octopuses just because I think it's a cool, abstract, weird thing to go into. And I think a lot of times marketers tell people, just choose something, choose the most expensive flower because you'll make the most money. And it's like, that's not how that works. Your community is going to know that you're not fired up. Yeah. And it's, it's like not authentic. And, and I think that that plays to, I guess what I'm trying to figure out like the right words for is it's not like being niche, but like if you have like kind of this unique 
experience slash perspective, finding other people with that creates such a high quality community versus having like you could have like, oh, we have a parent group versus, oh, we have a dad's group versus, oh, you know, we have a husband's or like gay fathers that are fathers together group and like niching it uh, again, niching, but like getting down to that, like this is a very unique experience that I'm having. And I feel like I need a sense of community or camaraderie about this. There's probably, and like there is, there's probably someone else who feels the same way. Same with like octopus. Yeah. The example that I give sometime when I'm presenting is I talk about Disney World and how they've mastered as it relates to having their own like sub communities or, or things like that. There are people that experience it'd be naive of people to think that people go into Disney and they experience it differently. I mean, there are people that are hard of hearing that go into Disney World, you know, and they experience that differently. And so why instead of somebody who's hard of hearing getting lost into a big Disney World group, why shouldn't there be a Disney World group that's specifically for hard of hearing people so that they can navigate through the parks easier and have a great experience? You know, there are people that have really bad allergies and they need to know where to eat. You know, there are people that specifically go to Disney to, to travel, you know, and do marathons. So they experience dif Disney differently. And all of those different things require a different attention graph if you truly want to create a sense of belonging. Yeah. Even just go to Disney World and people watch. It's amazing. Just the, it's a treat. It's a feast for the eyes. Or people that have, I talk about, you know, if you have a Disney tattoo or something like that, you feel different. Like you feel as if you're more of a Disney fan than other people because you've tattooed one on your body. And so that could be its own separate group. And you could figure out different ways in which you could create belonging from that. You could you know, showcase other tattoo artists that specifically do really great Disney tattoos. You can have an affiliate program. You can, there's all these different ways that you can monetize it, but you have to first be called, you know, in a very unique way to create a sense of belonging for these people. If you had to have a Disney character tattooed on your body, would it be Ursula? It would not. Although our rest in peace, Pat Carroll, she just passed away this past year. It would be Jack Skellington. I've always been obsessed with, with Jack <laughs> Skellington. Yeah. yeah. I think I think I'd legit. I love Ursula. I think like there's actually a story there. Like they need to do Wicked. Oh, they totally Ursula do. Without like Daddy Disney coming down on them. But like she was robbed. I don't think she's actually that bad. I think there's something with King Triton there that they like. There's a story between the two of them we did not explore. <laughs> and spicy, I bet if we knew a it. A spicy affair yeah. maybe. I don't yes. know. And I bet if we knew it, we would we would think differently about Ursula. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So going back to community as much as I want to just keep asking silly questions and I will continue. Don't you worry. Go for it. So sort of silly, but also community. Is it intentional that the seven C's is like the pun on the it seven is. C's? It is. You I thought it. so. Yeah, I thought so. And I just wanted to make sure because I love it. But yeah, let's um, and maybe just like a rapid fire. Why don't you go through all of them? Because so far, this is all just treasure, pirate treasure. So we can just continue with the. Uh... Yeah, so we'll start just all just rapid fire all through them. So clarity, you know, is really, you know, who the community for what is the community about? Like I said, the more vague and abstract you make those things, the more potential there is to make people feel like they don't belong. So that's clarity. Um, then you get into the core values. And that's really what is the identity of your community? What do they represent? What do they stand for? What are they angry about? Like, what do they want more justice for? What are they, what do they laugh about? You know, you really have to know these things so that you're just aware. Like Octonation, to give you an example, 
we're pro accredited aquarium. We believe that Aquarius on the front line of ocean conservation on a daily basis. There are people that are really upset about us being pro aquariums. You know, we don't showcase pollution on our page at all. We don't have conversations about those topics. We feel like there's a time and there's a place to talk about pollution. And it's not when you're establishing baseline ocean literacy as it relates to the wonder of the ocean. You know, there are all these things that make Octonation what it is, and that all taps into our value set. So then you get into content and content is really, we talked about this before the podcast, but how are you deserving of attention on a daily basis? And the reason I ask that is because People just make the assumption that just because they have a community that they're deserving of attention. And I say, you have to be really, you have to create compelling reasons why. I even go as far as to say, you remember how when we were growing up, we would watch you know, TV and there was programming that was on TV and they had to create really compelling segments. They had to really keep our attention. And I think we're kind of coming back to now that we're, we own you know, the media and we can be on YouTube, we can be in all our spaces, all of our competitors are really anybody who has screen time. You know, Anybody who's on your screen is really a competitor for the attention of your community member. And so just be really conscious about that. So with Octonation, you know, we have a program called Interview with an Octopus, where we go to aquariums all over the world and we play with the octopus in real time and we bring it into the living rooms or into the, into the phone of people who wouldn't normally otherwise see that. We have, you know, drawing with, you know, Disney animators or drawing with artists where people learn how to draw an octopus. We have underwater photography spotlight where we don't just show the camera speed or whatever, but we actually educate about the species in a really fun and informative way. And so we have all of our programming kind of listed out to where we're like, this is why we're deserving of the attention of our community, because we're creating really compelling programming. And if somebody is just kind of emotionally posting on a daily basis, I feel like that's not sustainable. And if you if you are a creator that are doing that, you will burn out. It's just a matter of time. We know it. I've seen it with creator after creator. They, they wonder why they take two or three year breaks. And it's because they, what they were doing wasn't sustainable. Then you get into, what is it, after, <laughs> after content, it's collaboration. So who else has a commitment to the people who you're trying to reach? It's really important that you know this early on. What are the podcasts? What are the journalists? What are the um, influencers out there? What are the brands, organizations? What magazines? What, you know, who else out there has a commitment to providing the same sort of content or to the same sort of individual that you're providing content to? And like with Octonation, obviously National Geographic is, you know, the next generation of explorers, they're committed. And so what you want to do is you kind of want to figure out what is their mission and vision and what is your mission and vision and figure out, is there a way that you can integrate so that you can be better together, right? I'm really big on this because that's what I love the most about, you know, working in New York in the fashion industry is we were always collaborating. It was always like, who are you strategically collaborating with next to reach more of your audience? And so I love collaboration. It's one of my favorite. After collaboration, you get into connection. And so this is what are you doing to make your community members feel seen? So do you have unique programming that allows for your community members to genuinely feel like they have an opportunity to be seen in the crowd of other individuals? Like, are you sending them merch? Are you providing an opportunity for them to be spotlit? Are you like, what opportunities are ingrained into your community that allow them to know that they are, they're seen, they're heard, because those people will contribute more. Even in the comment section, you know, I always tell creators that have, you know, or communities that have, you know, millions of members, I'm like, even if you were to respond deeply to five comments, 
and not just do because I say surface level comments will bring surface level connections with your community. So even if you took the time to respond deeply to even five people and those became billboard comments, that's still a better representation of your brand and what it stands for than you just leaving heart eyes and applause hands. That does nothing for the to build affinity within your community. So that's connection. Then you move over to conversion. And this is if you let's talk about the money, you know, how are you ethically converting your your community to a sale? And the reason I use the word ethically is because I'm so anti fake. I feel like if you have the attention span of your community, you don't need to rush them into a sale. You're providing value with your programming. You're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing. When you present an opportunity to sell something, they should immediately just be like, yes, I want that. Like we sell, and you can't see this, but we sell all these really cool stickers. Everybody should go look like the sticker game. The the graphics are strong. If you have a octopus aficionado, if you're in in our crew, like you'll fall in love. I already was like, I need that. I need that. I need that. Yeah, the Octobarista (laughs) series, which is a series of like species specific octopuses drinking different types of coffee, like pour over penny and French press Freddy. (laughs) So cute. And so when we went to go launch those, I mean, we probably sold like in that first day over $10,000 worth of stickers because our community was just, they were there for it. And we actually made them like part of the process and we let them know that it was coming. And we asked them, what do you like more, this or that? Like, so we, we, instead of building all of it and then being like, hey, we worked on this and now we're ready for you to buy it. They were very much a part of that process. So when we, when we finally went to go launch it, they were all on board. And so that's conversion. And then you get into the last one, which is consistency. And this is how do you do all of this without losing your mind? And uh, <laughs> do go on. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you create how do you create a schedule for yourself as a community leader where you're providing, you know, value at scale to your community members and you're not taking all the pressure or you're not like literally like internalizing all of the pressure, like you have your schedule. And I feel like now more than ever, because everybody has the ability to go live. It's actually kind of going back and being like, okay, what worked really well before having a schedule? When do things actually go live? Give people a time and a date, give them, you know, well in advance to make plans to be there and they'll be there. But the whole idea of just going live whenever you feel like it is not sustainable. And it's not fair to your community to miss out on something that they would want to be a part of. So with a lot of with the people that I work with, it's like, no, we need initially we need programming. We need I, I want to know that on Tuesday morning, you're going live here and this is why they should be there. What is the incentive of them being there? If you're going live on if you're dropping your podcast on Wednesday, it should drop on Wednesday. Cool. And on Thursday, if you're doing this, like there needs to be a schedule there. there I mean, there doesn't need to be like, right, let's be honest, like there's plenty of people who don't do this. But I found that when you get to the community levels that like kind of like I work with, it just, it lets you have a life. Because I've been when I first started Octonation, I remember working 12, 13 hours a day, just being like, this is so amazing. I love it. I love it. But it wasn't sustainable. No. Yeah. Uh, and I was doing everything myself. I was buying the research papers. I was rewriting the research papers in ways that people could understand. I was licensing photos. I was doing all the collaborations. I was like, and I, and I was fulfilled, but then it got to the point where it's like, I can't, like, this isn't sustainable yeah. at all. I'm exhausted. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Or I'd like to go do something today that is yeah. not lapped up. And not feel bad about it and not feel guilty yeah. that I'm, I'm like pulling away or that I'm not responding to comments or that I'm not in the know with everything that's going on. And so now, like I said, with me, with inconsistency too, it's like, okay, what is your plan of who's your first hire? 
you know, you have to have that in there. Like, you know, I have a, a blog manager who manages all of that. I have a team. She manages a team of science writers and then even science communicators that take the science writers speak and communicate it in octonation language. Then we have a person who specifically licenses media and footage. Then we have, you know, our scientific advisor that looks over everything to make sure because we're putting out information at scale that's sometimes in one day will reach a million people. So we can't be wrong about certain yeah. things now. Yeah. Before it would just be like, eh, we'll just edit our caption. Yeah. Well, now it's like, <laughs> eh. like people are sharing us as the gold standard, which is what we wanted. But now with that comes more responsibility. So yeah, <laughs> those are the seven C's. The high C's. I think those are great. That really like really encapsulates kind of like the chaos. You could add chaos as the eighth C. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like it, it encapsulates like there's so many factors, right? And I love that you have a community that you, you know, you can like provide real-time examples like the the merch and like basically making 10K in one day. Like your example just reinforces the idea that if you have a strong engaged community they feel a part of these things and so when this thing happens when that thing launches you know to your point of like ethical conversion like this is they are a part of this so they cannot wait to get their hands on this not because it's like oh let's do a cash grab it's because like oh my gosh this is latte luna is the cutest thing i've ever seen like and We've been talking about this and I've seen the design and I need this. And yeah. we even created them all. Like, in it, like I guess initially we were like, well, this doesn't really even make sense or how are you branding this? Because a lot of people always ask me that. And I put, uh, I guess we call them GIFs or GIFs or however you want to call them. But we created um, like 50 or 60 of them to use on Instagram stories and they don't really have our brand on it. It's just the, the octopus because we wanted to create more things for people to use in our community so that it just benefited the overall community. It wasn't necessarily about branding and all of this stuff. It was like, what can we do to add value to our community so that more people are using Octopus in their stories because they're not right now because nothing really exists that's really cool. So how can we benefit the community? And so it's really kind of taking all of the ego out of it, but also just providing more things. Like how can we better this whole entire community? Uh, what resources can we provide? Well, you're thinking about it from like the community standpoint and not from like money, right? It's like how this is fun. Let's put these on Instagram so everyone can use them because we love sharing about this, right? Versus let's hoard this and then try to make the most money. Mwahaha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so David, our senior podcast producer, wanted me to ask you this and I just laughed when I saw it. How many times have you seen my octopus teacher? I've seen it many times. I actually, and people are just like, I don't know. People are like, you should be ashamed to say this. I'm like, I'm not. When I watched it for the first time, I fell asleep. Um, and it's only because his voice is so soothing. That South African like voice is just like, I just like, like I like fell asleep. And I had to watch it when I was like more awake. I watched it kind of during the time where I fall asleep no matter what. But yeah, I loved I loved what the movie did for it. Finally presented the octopus in a way that made it, a compassionate creature that it was deserving of respect. It, it had long-term, short-term memory that it could recognize individual human faces and form, you know, bonds potentially, you know? So I loved what it did. And it was great because people were looking for a community after that and they found Octonation. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we, we went up significantly after that documentary came out and we actually were a part of marketing it as well. I could see that. Yeah. That makes, that tracks. It makes sense. I have a confession in that I have not seen it 
And David Krabowski, who's seen it and loves it, and that's why he wanted me to ask you, is just like, you love, like, we've had conversations about, like, I'm like, they're aliens, they're super smart. <laughs> it just depends, because people, uh, people that, like, if they want to know facts about the octopus, and they're very, like, they're input or data nerds, they're probably not going to get what they want from the documentary. This is more or less like a, a, a it makes people consider the octopus in a completely different light. It's not really there to provide like data or facts or habitat, or it's really there to just be like, wow, like I had no idea that the octopus was capable of this sort of intelligence. It's just like opening jars. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think people hopefully already know. Yeah. Actually, the reason I haven't seen it is because I don't want to see one die and I'll lose my mind. And so I'm like, I know it's coming. So I'm just going to sit this one out. I'll probably watch it eventually. But, uh, that, that stops me from watching a lot of things. If you Google like frequently asked questions about My Octopus Teacher, we come up as number one because we, our community asked uh, when My Octopus Teacher came out all of these questions and we were just like, we're just going to create this long blog that answers all of their questions, but more from like a scientific perspective and less from a like anthropomorphic type of perspective. I mean, we just talked about, you know, these animals, especially that species lives for less than a year. I mean, sometimes they don't make it to their first birthday. So it's just a fact of their their life. It is. Uh, it is cool, though, that they you know have the ability to regenerate. And you see that in the documentary. I mean, they can regenerate their arms as good as new, like completely new. So I yeah, can we figure that out at least for like stem cells? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're on our way. Collagen? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's on my list. I just you know like I have to be in the right mood. For that kind of thing to like not get a little too attached and then sad about the circle of life, if you will. But I just haven't been there. <laughs> like the Lion King. Like oh, the first time I saw the Lion King, I'm like, why am I bawling? Why am I a puddle on the floor right now? <laughs> like, <what's going> <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, a lot of those. I have a, <laughs> I will share a really embarrassing story. When I was a kid, my grandma took me to see the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven in the theater. And I was like, I don't know, seven. I have no idea how old I was. And, you know, you think from the title, that would be a clue. And it's like, you know, you know me. This is a bad idea. Like, she knows. I don't know what she was thinking. Yeah, we had to leave, like, at the very beginning when, because the dog has to go to heaven. And that requires some things to happen. And I lost it. I haven't seen it since. And I never will. But it's really important. I'm glad that you brought that up because when I'm talking to people and I'm figuring out what sort of community they should start, like if that's inherently a part of like your value set, like that you're sensitive as it relates to those subjects, that when it comes to your community, you can make a steadfast rule that conversations like this actually aren't allowed in this community. Like with Octonation, I was such a sensitive kid. And I, I remember going through school and thinking the way that they presented, you know, the world when I was going through school is that we had already messed everything up. Like when I saw massive amounts of pollution, that didn't help me as a kid. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I always tell people anger is not a sustainable emotion. And as a kid, I just felt angry and and helpless as it related to everything. And so with Octonation, it's really my, like, I was trying to solve a problem that would like, when, when I looked to me as a kid, how can I get a kid who's who is super sensitive? How can we establish this ocean wonder with them that leads them into a direction of of understanding how important the ocean is, not from a place of you should do this or you shouldn't do that, which is kind of like how I was taught, but from a I care genuinely because I was inspired by something like 
And I know that with Octonation, we've even seen it. We get direct messages all the time from parents that say, I watch, you know, your Instagram or your YouTube or whatever with my kid every single night before he goes to bed. And, you know, thank you for creating what you're creating. And I'm like, this is exactly what I wanted. Like, this is exactly why we do what we do and why we've chosen not to show massive hordes of pollution as it relates to the octopus or we're not an animal rights organization. We're not going to show people chopping up octopus at a sushi restaurant and then get our community really angry and then do a change.org petition. Like that's not our, that's other organizations jobs. If they would like to do that, that's not what we're doing at Octonation. And so really established when it comes to your community and creating that sense of belonging, you know, that it starts, it stems from you. If you're the sort of person that, that doesn't want to see that, or that doesn't, you know, light you up or move the community forward, it's like, then that doesn't have to be a part of your community. (laughs) I love it. I'm curious, have you had experiences when people join and are focused on these things that are outside kind of your guidelines and and what your community is about? So somebody who's very environmentally conscious joins and wants to talk about plastics in the ocean and and things like that. How do you... I just did this long post the other day uh, because I spoke, I co-facilitated a mastermind in Orlando and this topic came up around media training. I said, you know, media training used to just be for celebrities, for politicians, for people that were in the spotlight. Well, nowadays, everybody that has a phone is in the spotlight. And because TikTok is a content algorithm, meaning you could have zero followers and your content could be seen by millions of people... That, you know, could be problematic from the standpoint, if if you're not media trained and you don't know and somebody throws you on mainstream news or whatever to talk about your one video and you're just thinking you can wing it, no, <laughs> like I wouldn't be in a position <laughs> or so, you know, going back to your question, there are things that we that were were trained, you know, our our admins are trained, our moderators are trained, we have these go to copy and paste things. And then we also have you know, ways that we can customize, you know, what we say, if it's something that is, if they use curse words, or if they're just like, they're they're just like, they're gone, they're blocked, we don't feel like it's our job to explain something to we don't, like I always tell people, it's not your really job to evangelize people, (laughs) you know, sometimes people are just not a community fit, and you should just let them go, like, you shouldn't, like, try to convince them on why they're wrong, or whatever, it's just like, you're just not a fit, that's cool. If they're coming from a place of genuine curiosity on where we're getting our information from or anything like that, or they're questioning whether or not aquariums are actually, you know, um, good for the environment or education, we just provide real examples. And we have this rule in our group too. It's called, uh, you know how they call, well, it's like hijacking attention where like if you're in a media, you take a popular news story and you like put your spin on it. I have something in my group called intention hijacking, where if say um, somebody's standing in front of an aquarium exhibit with they're holding their daughter in their arms and they're looking up at an octopus, you know, say somebody in the comment section just goes off on how dare you be teaching your daughter that blah, blah, blah. I can't believe, you know, that you're not out making a conscious effort to go see it in the wild and you're just teaching this is a capitalistic plague on society and blah, blah, blah. That's called intention hijacking. The intention of that post for that individual was to showcase a tender moment teaching about one of the coolest ocean creatures on the planet. It wasn't to, you know, this long thing. And so if you're trying to intention hijack in our community, it's another thing where it's like your comments gone. And and if you keep it up, you're gone. 
So don't be afraid to, you know, really assert your boundaries and your community. It's not a fit. And like I said, your community shouldn't be a fit for everyone. And if it is, and it's broad, then you have the potential to, to not really be creating belonging in your community by choosing to just let people go off on each other. And some people will say, like marketers say, I don't care what they say. It's great for engagement. Like they let people fight in the comment section. Oh, I'm like, no. okay, it might be great for engagement. It's devastating for community morale. Yeah. That's also like against the point of community. Like that's it's engagement. It's not community. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, cool. Make every like everyone feel like they might get in a fight. Yeah. That's yeah. What- I don't want people to constantly feel like they're going into battle all the time. Right? Somebody uses and then the afraid to post because that one person's gonna, yeah, you know, tone police the photo. Say somebody uses like the incorrect plural of octopus or something like that, and just the comment thread like is nothing. Yeah, the comment thread is like nothing but people just like flaming that person. Do you think that yeah. really creates a sense of belonging for like everybody involved? Yeah. Will that person ever come back, or will they yeah. be like, you know what? I don't like cephalopods. <laughs> <laughs> this community is awful. These people are terrible. Oh, gosh. So I want to touch on one thing, and then we'll go into what's called our rapid fire questions at the end. So as I understand it, the the, the community is on Facebook, and you, you've worked for Meta. Yeah, so I have um, a community on... So it actually started on Tumblr. Oh, nice. I can see that. Yeah, it started on Tumblr, and my it wasn't Octonation. It was called Octopus Things, uppercase <laughs> O, lowercase C, uppercase, you know that that whole thing. <laughs> yes. And then it even had a Z at the end. Uh, and then from there, I went over to Instagram. And then what Instagram didn't have for me, what which was what I was looking for, which was like I wanted to see other people's stuff. Like I want other people to upload what inspires yeah. them. I want, and so I found Facebook groups to be really great for that. And so it wasn't until I think I had like 20 or 30,000 that I started the Facebook group and started telling people, you know, hey, we have this. If you want to upload photos of your tattoos, if you're an underwater photographer and you want to showcase your work there, you know, we'd love to have you over there in that community. And we filled up that Facebook group. Now we're on pretty much every single social media platform. Most recently, you know, TikTok has been going insane right now. So we'll see. If TikTok is still around. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I need to get on Octopus Talk immediately. Yes. I'm sure it's, it's a, great. It's a lot of fun. So your, I mean, uh, your communities are free and a lot of like social media driven, it sounds like. Yeah. So we we founded the nonprofit in 20, the end of 2019. And the reason I did was because so many people kept asking, where can we donate? Like, how can we help? We really love your posts and and I was thinking at the time, I remember it's this middle child syndrome where I was just like, I don't need anybody's help. This is like, I can do all this. And I'm sure those listening can relate. You're just like, I, I don't like, I can, I can handle it. Like I'll manage it. And like, I haven't gotten to that point yet. I and mean, so I went through that where I was just like, no, I, I want to do it all. And then I realized that I wasn't really enrolling people into the vision and mission of our community by not letting them be like, take leadership roles. So yeah, I created the nonprofit and then people just let them know like, hey, we just founded the nonprofit. You know, what do you want to see? What do you want to see more of? And they were like, well, there's really no, if you look online, there's no place where we can go to look up different species of octopuses. It's You have to kind of piecemeal it. So we created Octopedia on our website. We launched fundraisers to fund the largest comprehensive field guide of octopus species written in a fun and informative way that, you know, uh, was easily readable, digestible, 
And then they were just like, we really want a place for art. So we created Artist Spotlight where, you know, you can apply and be featured on our blogs. And underwater photographers wanted, you know, to be, have their work showcased. So we created Cephalophotography Spotlight. You know, and we just started funding all of these initiatives. The community wanted these things and they, you know, started funding these things. It'd be the same thing for a for-profit though. And I don't want people to hear the fact that I'm a, a nonprofit organization and think that we don't need the same amount of money or we don't pay people the same amount of money that you'd have to pay somebody to be to work for you. My you know, blog manager gets paid just as much as somebody who, who ran a for-profit would get paid. It's just deciding whether or not that's the direction you kind of want to go, if that makes sense for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something to say, you know, I actually, I think a lot of people start communities for some sort of like a greater good motivation, you know, and creating the the nonprofit to go with it. Like that's big, right? It's not easy to create. I'm sure, you know, you know, you did it. It's like a yeah. whole thing. You could always pick a charity that you want to support or just crowdfund. Or just when people are like, oh, I want to, you know, whatever, have them like help in the community or, you know, whatever. The sky's the limit. I worked with a uh, Dr. Lindsay Weitzel. Again, going back to Clarity, she helps business women who suffer chronic debilitating migraines get more stuff done throughout the day. So she has a very specific community so that every single time she posts, everybody in the community is like, I get it. I belong here. Like, yeah, I'm suffering and I, I need help mitigating this chronic pain. And so when you look at her, the way she has it set up, she gets sponsorship um, and she has a for-profit company. She, she's a consultant. She helps people as a coach mitigate their chronic migraines. And she also gets advertising dollars because of her podcast. She, she's the uh, podcast host for the, I think it's Heads Up for the National Headache Foundation. There we go. And so she fits, like I said, everything kind of goes into what she's doing. It started off with that clarity though. Because I think when she first approached me, she said, I can help anybody mitigate their pain. And I said, that's going to you know, be really hard sell when it comes to you saying that somebody who has lupus, somebody who has Crohn's ulcerative colitis, somebody who has migraine, you're, you're saying that those are all the same things. And I was like, and that's not really creating a sense of belonging. And so we really figured out that she uniquely, her thing was suffering chronic debilitating migraine ever since she was two years old. And uh, I said, we should really lead with that. And as a result of her leading with that, her community exploded. It's really thinking, you know, going in and really thinking about you and what who you're the best representation for as a community leader and really what you want to see, what resources you want to see that haven't been created. And there's some people that tell me, well, I need to be a nonprofit because the people that I'm helping can't afford me. And I'm just like, no, you just need to find other people. Like I said, the uh, fourth C is collaboration. Find other organizations that have a commitment to the people that you have a commitment to and go get the funding for it. They have sponsorship dollars. They have, they have grants. Grants are a huge thing. I just... I find out this next month if I get a hundred thousand uh, dollar National Geographic grant, so root for me. Yes, and with that funding, I can create these resources that I want to see in existence, and my community wants to see in existence. So the funding and the money is there. It's really just going back to, you know, that first C, which is just like, what are you uniquely going to position yourself for and create a sense of belonging around? Yes, that's like the perfect. That's like kind of the perfect mic drop. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess just to to pick up the mic one more time, something I just genuinely love about community and community builders and just our whole industry, if you will, is that it really is the like, if you can, if you can dream it, you can build it like there's no there's yeah, we have like guidelines and like best practices. 
but there's so much magic in the creativity. I love it. That can come out of, yeah, community building. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with this this new age because I really feel like I can work with, I, I remember going into like a, a store at Disney and there was this one kid that I talked to for like two hours straight and I like created his whole entire community strategy around him like, wanting to he was like I, you know i'd love to just be i was like well, if you weren't here what would you be doing he's like playing ukulele and there's a specific type of genre of music he played and i was just like oh my gosh like do, would you want to give lessons like what's your story and we like built something and i just i i can talk about it. i built like strategies in the back of uber rides for the person who's driving like i love getting people clear on what is their unique thing because it was octopus for me but for some people it's like there's even a, a group at Disney called Bibbidi Bobbidi Poo. And it's <laughs> it's all about the restrooms at Walt Disney World for people that have Crohn's or ulcerative yes. colitis. So they can go to Disney and experience Disney and also know where the Not restrooms are. And also yeah. know where like that they can get the DAS, the there's a disability waiver that they can get. And so oh. the, like you know what I mean? So it's just like imagine like and and you could monetize that group. You could create, you know, poopery drops that are Disney scented. You could create like there's all these different things. <laughs> You could, I mean, yes. that you could, you could figure out if like, if you're uniquely positioned or feel like you have a cause or, or a topic of interest or whatever. I mean, there's the community is there for you. Uh, now I'm going to be thinking about what I would like funny, punny names for poopery. That's like, related. <laughs> if I think of any, I'll reach out to that group. They'll be like, we thought of that years ago. Thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we live in a kind of terrifying time, but also like a really special time. I guess that's how it works though, right? You need like, <laughs> you need to have a pretty healthy dose of the world is ending to really appreciate some of the magic. <laughs> and I find, I find, cause I'm, I'm also too, like, if you couldn't tell by this podcast, I'm ADHD. So it kind of helps that I have my arms in so many different communities and, and businesses, but I really do think, you know, one of my other people that I work with is Emily D. Baker, and she's a pop culture legal commentator. I think she's been on one of, one of your I podcasts. I love her. And so I... Yeah, she's been on Pat's podcast, and I was so much like, um, I wish I would have known this was happening, so I could have like been very inappropriate and crashed your podcast. How dare you? But And he's like, huh, yeah, weird. Yeah, Didn't... so I worked with her when she was first getting her start. I met her at a mastermind, and she was she was doing something completely different. And I was like, this is what we should be doing. I was like, you realize that you can get paid to talk for a living. And she just wasn't aware. And I feel like that's a huge thing with people who are, say, their ages 35 to 50 right now. They're, your voice and your expertise is so needed online. And for whatever reason, for the longest time, I think adults, they had this social media version because their kids were doing it. I think we kind of need to get over that because we need your voices online. Because even like with Emily being a, a pop culture legal commentator, but with a career as a 15-year deputy district attorney in Los Angeles, when she came up on the scene and she started talking about pop culture, legal, you know, all these things, yes, she was talking about the Britney Spears conservatorship, but she now goes live to, I think today... During the Murdoch trial, she had 40,000 live concurrent people viewing her stream. That's more than, than, than mainstream media on YouTube right now. Oh, yeah. Well, and she just breaks it down, too. Like, let's yeah. just to keep going. Let's just talk about Emily D. <laughs> and, and the law nerds, because like she obviously she knows what she's doing. She's been in the courtroom. She gets it. And she explains things in a very just like, okay, this is what this means. Like she's your friend that you go have a drink with or whatever. And she'll just 
she, you know, she talks shop in a way that's just like so inclusive. Like you don't feel like you actually need a law degree. And and because she takes on, like, I remember the uh, Johnny Depp case. Amber, and stuff, yeah, like, Amber Heard. Yeah. And like, honestly, I didn't even, I still like, I'm not super clear on what that was even about. Like I get big picture, but wasn't following it. But like, I would, I would put her lives on in the background because it was like just the, I just wanted the like hot goss on how court cases work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, I didn't even care about them. And then yeah, the Britney Spears conservatorship, like it's just so interesting. She's establishing, like I said, this baseline literacy for the way the law works, yeah. but she's doing it through popular culture and through media. Exactly. So, I, and I told her when we were first working, I was like, you will be the resource as it relates to when it comes to mainstream media, when it comes to all these different things, because you're commentating on popular culture, but in a way where you're laying down the law and, and you're saying this is how it is, but in a really fun and informative way. So she uses all the cursy words and she has purple hair. Yep. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's just like she's kind of what's representative of what you know, at the highest level when it comes to you building an empire and wanting if you're if you're a person out there that wants to be consumer facing, I would say that with Octonation, people don't know that I run it because my, they care about octopuses. They don't necessarily care about me you're as like, a consumer facing individual. Yeah. yeah. They're like, wait a minute, too much human. You have like we, we want more arms. Like you do not have enough arms. Yeah. You're weird. But with people like <laughs> Emily who want that consumer facing brand that who she is the brand, you know, I'm more or less, I'm a curator, I facilitate, you know, and if you're out there, don't think that you need to be front facing, you can have just as much of an impact being behind the scenes and curating programming and being like, you know what, I want this to exist and nobody's doing it. I have no reason to be the owner of one of the largest oceanic nonprofits most engaged on social media. If you look at my background, I'm a classical saxophone performance major. So if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I don't, I haven't gone to school for this, I haven't done this. It's like, Take the pressure off of yourself to have the accolades. If you're wanting to facilitate and curate, then curate conversations with professionals. That can that can happen too. You know, with like uh, uh, Lindsay Weitzel, the one who helps women who suffer chronic debilitating migraine, she interviews professionals as it relates to different types of migraine, like cluster migraines. And, you know, there's all sorts of different types. Yeah. Well, and like just to, okay, just to, we'll, we'll end it after this, but like with going back to Emily, like, she is not for everyone. It's that is abundantly clear. Like I love her in the sense that I am not for everyone. Like she's loud and she, you know, and she's funny, but like kind of, you know, can be crass and stuff and like sarcastic. And those are the things that attract me to her. That's why I'm like, yep. Law nerds unite. We write at dawn. Other people would probably, you know, tune in and be like, oh my gosh, you know, like clutches pearls. And so that's not their person. And that's okay. Cause it goes back to that, having that hyper-specific community and so when people find you they're like yes you know and like just immediately like how do i be a part of this how do i i'm going to subscribe i'm going to do this i'm going to do that when i first met her with her values like she's very much an enneagram one and shows she's very much fairness is is really big to her and i mean she obviously it led her into the career of being a district attorney so she can be all of this personality but still remain incredibly fair and just with with how she talks about things and i think people love that bridge where it's just like, you know, at the end of the day that she's not going to bad talk anybody. She, again, she's about facts, not effery and all <laughs> of those different things. Right. So right. like she has all of these sayings that just make her brand hers. But like I said, that kind of goes back to and when we were first started working together, it was just like, what is going to be your messaging? Everyone's favorite legal commentator, you know, now she is, she's the go-to legal analyst because she's in her primetime era, which means she's on court TV all the time. She's on ABC all the time. She's in a lot of Netflix and Hulu documentaries all the time. So we 
we have her messaging now she's the go-to you know and so now everybody's just like why would you go to anybody else like emily is the go-to <laughs> right and that's the thing like even though she has which by the way if i saw like a lot Launders Unite or like Facts Not Effery like shirt or something, I'd lose my mind, right? Because it's like, oh my God, like you, you know, what did you think about this? And and it's just like, that is the example of like how special thing you can make things. But yeah, she, she is just- You have to get her onto a community podcast oh my gosh. because yeah, she can, she can go more into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, please. But yeah. And I think like to my point that like, she's not for everyone, but that's okay. Because at the end of the day, like even if I'm I'm there for the snark and whatnot and like just the 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 details, I want to understand how it's all working. And she's she's very engaging. It's very interesting to hear her talk about those things. And that's and that's what's extra special. She has a way, like her personality just shines, and it's almost like you almost forget like this person is actually like highly, highly qualified. And yeah all of it. And if, and if you look at it kind of like on the surface level, and if you break down the strategy, you're like, wait a minute, this is a, a woman who is pulling up court contracts, and she's just reading them line by line. How could anybody make that even remotely entertaining? And yet 30 to 40,000 people live concurrent watching. And now she's doing she has more programming where it's like her live commentary, where she's essentially like a sports commentator for the courtroom. I mean, that's all very, like I said, that goes into content where it's like very strategic programming. There's nothing that she's she's doing right now that hasn't been really thought out from just pe the people around her and our team that we have. When we first started, it was just kind of her on live and her producing everything. And now we have this this team that we're building behind her so that she can stay the talent and, and not be overwhelmed. Like I said, that last C, consistency and not just get burnt out. That's amazing. Like what a special little extra nugget I didn't expect in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Are we going to do the rapid fire or no? We don't have we, time. Yeah. Oh no. If you <laughs> okay. have time. I have time. I love, like I said, I'm nosy. So I, I want to make sure I get the answers. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. First things that come to, you know, for kind of just like quick, whatever the first thing that comes to mind is your response. I will try not to then ask follow-up questions because I am nosy, but it's okay. supposed to be rapid fire. So <laughs> Warren, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A neurosurgeon. Nice. How do you define community? Wow. I, I should have a media trained response for this one. Community creating a space where people feel like they belong. And as a result of that, they contribute, they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel affirmed, and they show up on a daily basis. Love it. See, now you have one. Mm -hmm. I am going to ask you a bucket, two bucket list questions. So if you have a bucket list, cool. If you don't just think like life, you know, life goal kind of stuff. Okay. What is something on your bucket list that you have done? That I have done. I met, so Cy Montgomery is my mentor. She wrote the book, The Soul of an Octopus. She's the reason that I created Octonation. And I actually got to go to her house and hang out with her for the day. And quality, quality time is my love language. And so I was just the happiest person on the planet, just getting to hang with my mentor. And we actually went over to somebody's house and he has all these turtles. They're writing a book on turtles. And seeing my mentor who will makes you fall in love with an animal that you've never met before. She writes all these books. She's a naturalist. And seeing her interact with animals, it was like she was in her own little world. And I just remember just being like, this is the most amazing day like I've ever had. So I'd say that was cross off of my bucket list. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. 
All right. The, the flip of this question, what's something on your bucket list that you have not yet done? Let's see. I haven't produced a documentary. I really want to produce a documentary of octopuses in a way that I feel like would just take the world by storm. That would really showcase the different species and all their glory. And I want people to say, why is this the first time that I've ever heard about this? You know, um, because there's just so many cool species, not to geek out, but like there's an Antarctic octopus that has antifreeze proteins in its skin. There is a hot water volcano octopus that can survive almost like 200 degree hydrothermal vents. So like I said, depending on the octopus species, they have a different superpower that allows them to be masters of whatever environment they're in. And there's over 300 stories. And so if I can work with producers to, to film you know, a series, that would just... That would be an incredible bucket list item for me. I'm loving that. Um, <laughs> agree. Plus one. <laughs> All right. I think I might know the answer to this question, but what is a book that you love and wish everybody would read? Yeah, it's going to be Solvent Octopus. I, I already have it queued up. In yeah, so. <laughs> Solvent Octopus. There's a reason why even today it is number one on Amazon in most like two or three categories since 2015. This book has literally been on a bestsellers list of some sort, and it has so much staying power. And I think it's because Sai is just, like I said, she has this way of talking about an animal in a way that is so relatable. You just feel like, even though it's an octopus, you're thinking, how has she made me fall in love and be so deeply ingrained and fascinated and it was really that book that i was just like i want to carry this torch in an online environment on behalf of sai and so i remember reaching out to her after i read that book and i said i have this idea and i told my brother first and he was like that's dumb he was like why would you create a fan club for octopus he was just like why don't you choose a, a species that's like endangered like our octopus is even endangered and i was like no i'm not i'm not gonna tell you anything it's like never never mind yeah <laughs> Yeah, ISI. And she was just like, I think this is amazing. And I think it was like the, one of the first or second emails that she called me an Octo King. And I was just like, okay, if Cy Montgomery is going to dub me the Octo King, then I'm going to take this very seriously and I'm going to make her proud. So I'd like to think that, you know, through the course of since then to now, we've, we've accomplished that. <laughs> How does your brother feel now? And she's like, actually, that was okay. He wears all of our merch. People stop okay. him at the gym. It's funny. He was like, uh, he wore a tank top that said Octonation on it. And somebody came up to him and he was like, oh my gosh, you follow Octonation? And he goes, oh yeah, the guy who founded it is my brother. They're like, wait a minute, what? Like they like freak out. And so There's he's- a human behind this? Yeah. He like, <laughs> he's completely sold on it now and he's really proud. That's good. Showed him, huh? <laughs> Okay. I happen to know you live in Austin. If you could live anywhere else in the world, where would you live? Hmm. The ocean, I'm sure. But I have so many friends from Australia, like like that live near the, the water and that are marine biologists. And they have such this, it's kind of like the people of Hawaii as well. They have this deep found appreciation and love for the ocean, you know, that that surrounds them. And talking to them just fires me up. It lights me up. So the idea of living around people that share that affinity or share that love, they inspire me. And I have a lot of them I've never met. What's crazy about my community is we have hundreds of thousands. We're approaching a million people across all platforms. And I've, I haven't met the majority of the people that who've really inspired me on a daily basis to, to make the organization what it is. 
So I think I need to like do this tour where I go and I meet like the significant individuals that like literally, and this comes up in every community leaders thing where you're wondering if, is this worth it? Should I continue? Should I just close the group? Like this is getting, and there are certain people along the way that was just like, I needed that comment to like keep myself going. So I, I would probably say Australia. Yeah. I mean, that'd be amazing. Great Barrier Reef. Hello. Mm-hmm. Also Australia, it's, it's gorgeous. I feel like that could almost play into your documentary. Yeah. Like around the world. Okay. Final question. Warren Carlyle, how do you want to be remembered? Let's see. Outside of, of oxygenation and inspiring wonder of the ocean, I really want to create the new model for like mapping wonder to the ocean as it relates to any animal. I really feel like that what I'm doing with oxygenation could be replicated for any ocean creature. Anybody that has a calling or wants to make somebody fascinated with something. There's a way that we go about educating and octanation, and there's a way that we go about universalizing knowledge in a way that is just fun. It's informative. It's not stuffy. You know, that I think that if like the National Audubon Society or the Penguin or, you know, whatever got a hold of it and started kind of utilizing some of the tools that we we do and incorporated a lot of the experts that we're incorporating in a way that makes them feel seen, heard and affirmed, then we would be able to inspire more people. So I think mapping mapping wonders to the ocean is something that I, I want to be known for. Yeah. It's like the, the tech modern version of Jacques Cousteau. Yes. I'm here for it. Yes, because I idea. feel like, you know, it is a privilege to to even go to an aquarium. You know, it costs money to get to an aquarium and it costs money to travel. I mean, and there's a lot of people where like me when I was, you know, seven years old and like lived in a house with seven other kids, uh, we couldn't afford to do a lot of things. And so the idea that I could create this online space in which a child could go to it and be like, wow, like I, I want to pursue a career in this, not as a result of even seeing anything or physically touching something, but just as a result of like how these words are drawing me into something very much like size book drew me into like I was the studio manager for a celebrity fashion photographer. And then I turned into a founder, an executive director, founder of an oceanic nonprofit organization. Like words and visuals have the ability to like profoundly change our lives. And I feel like that you can create that online as much as you can create it in a bad negative way. And you could be very nihilistic and say everything is not going in a good way. You could also be the light. So if that, if you're called to do that and be that, then, you know, like I said, really get clear and kind of like maybe revisit those seven C's and ask yourself, you know, what are you doing in each one of those areas? Yes. Wow. <laughs> what a way to, what a way to end. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. I did, I did not get to like all the octopus questions I would have asked, but for the sake of everyone, I'll just not, <laughs> I will instead focus my energy on find some of these stickers because they're amazing. <laughs> also the Instagram. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Get them yeah. Watch. We actually just created adoptanoctopus.com. You can't see that either. Ah, cute. Well, we I have... saw you could adopt one. I didn't realize they had their own URL too. So cute. Oh yeah. We're, we're big on vanity URLs. That's a pro tip towards the end of this podcast. If you made it this far, <laughs> buying yeah. vanity URLs to direct attention to the things are a lifesaver for your community. So I have an adopt an octopus for the octopus stuffed animals. I have Octo Merch for all things that are Octo Merch. I have octopusfacts.com if you want a daily text fact. Like creating these attention drivers for 
depending on like because you're in an Uber, right? And you're trying to convince somebody to follow, you know, your thing. You're not going to go to Facebook.com slash group slash this. Like, mm-hmm. so I just yeah. tell them go to OctopusFanClub.com and it'll send you right to our group. You know, I love it. I also love buying links. So it's like the best of both worlds. Yes. Like, what else is funny? Buy them all. Uh, or cute. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. You just you just rattled off a bunch of websites that people can find you at. But what's your go to like people want to learn more about the work you do specifically? And then obviously Octonation. Yeah, I think if you're curious, if you want to get kind of like a a masterclass in what's working right now on Instagram, as far as like captions are concerned, you can always go to our our Instagram Octonation. You know, we, we receive hundreds of comments on all of our posts. And there's a reason why if you look at our captions yeah you, you have a kind of, solid yeah you can kind of look at that but that came after like i said thousands of, of posts and me figuring out what is going to get the most engagement and things like that so that would be good for that but if you just want to look at our website octonation.com i mean if you're curious about more of the work that we do we have like i said profitable community academy join pcanow.com you can look at that too awesome all right let's let's end it with just what's your favorite octopus fact? Okay, so my favorite octopus fact, and you you all can't see this, but what's really cool about the octopus is that they have these horizontal shaped pupils. So you've probably seen like a goat, like the goats, they have these horizontal shaped pupils. But imagine two panoramic cameras like on the sides of your head. An octopus has no blind spot. So they can see 360 degrees around their body. So they can see directly in front of themselves and behind themselves because they're, they're like a squishy floating protein bar in the sea. So I've always been really enamored with the fact that an octopus can see nearly every direction. So you can't sneak up on them. Their eyes are what captivated me the first time I saw them when I was seven, because I looked inside of them. And it's very similar to like, if you're like looking at like your dog or your cat, you can tell when they need to go outside, you can tell when they're hungry. When I looked at the octopus, I thought there's something unique. There's something going on here and it's captured and held my attention since. So if you can get an opportunity to visit an aquarium and look into an octopus's eye, I strongly recommend you do it. Do it and ask if they've escaped and eaten (laughs) fish in in a different aquarium and gone back. Yeah, ask about their plans for the eventual cephalopod takeover of the planet. Right? I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right, Warren, thanks so much for being on the show. For sure. Thank you. And that's the episode with Warren. And oh my gosh, I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. It's really nice to see someone who's doing community work, have their own community that they can show actual examples from. I'm sure all of us enjoyed that. And if you haven't, go check out Octonation. It is a great website. Like it's just the best. Obviously, I am pro octopus. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope you enjoyed that and got some ideas. I thought there was a lot of really, really great ideas. And yeah, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. You can learn more about Warren and all the amazing cephalopod work he's doing by just searching up Octonation. You can go to Octonation.com. You can look up Octonation on pretty much any social media and it'll come right up. 
Your lead host for the community experience is me, Jillian Benbow. Our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Our senior producer is David Grabowski. And our editor is Paul Gregoris. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. Theme music by David Grabowski.